Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to LiveWire from Public Radio International. I'm Luke Burbank, your host. Now, usually at this moment in the show, I'm standing backstage with one of our guests and we're having a hilarious, thought-provoking conversation. And then all of a sudden, it's time for the national news. But we're doing things a little different this week because it is 4th of July weekend. And we figured we would revisit some of our favorite guests from the year, people who really put the indie in independence. People like comedian Cameron Esposito, Will Wheaton from The Big Bang Theory and a bunch of other places, Bill Plimpton, who is an Oscar-nominated independent animator, and fresh off of Standing Near Her Window, the amazing Melissa Etheridge will stop by. So grab your tofu dogs. This is public radio. I think we have to say that. Keep the fireworks away from the kids and get ready to celebrate Independence Day with us right after this news. Welcome to LiveWire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, your host. We've got a special show for you this week. We're celebrating independence with some of our favorite guests from the past season who have been doing things on their own. Now, not to brag, but I declared independence from something a few months ago. Facebook, or as it's been called, the suburbs of the Internet. Anyway, I talked about it on stage at Revolution Hall in Portland. Here's what that sounded like there is a place that I've never felt really like I fit in, and that place is known as Facebook, because I look at what people are posting, and I just think, what is wrong with you? (laughs) It's pretty much someone I went to high school with who's now posting about how the Obamunists are taking all of the guns away, (laughs) except for at gay weddings where they're actually arming the grooms just to mess with faith, flag, and freedom-loving Americans. Or it's like a a couple that's having a baby and they want to tell you what gender the baby is going to be, but they can't just tell you it's going to be a girl. So they have to get like in a hot air balloon and then they have a cake that's made in the shape of a stork and they have to drop it at a target in the middle of a field that's surrounded by their family. And if the cake breaks open and the inside is pink, it means that I hate them. Um, Um... I have just, for now, years of my life, been just scrolling through Facebook, looking at this stream of information, and not really enjoying it, but doing it because without it, I would just be sitting alone with my thoughts and feelings. (laughs) And ain't nobody got time for that, right? So last week, had a couple glasses of wine. I was feeling impulsive, and I deactivated my Facebook account, which was actually kind of scary. It was like I was lowering a pillow over an old, weak friend (laughs) who I kind of hated. Why are you doing this, Luke? Uh, But like, the second that the account was deactivated, I felt this lightness pass through me, like, oh my god, I'm free. Like, I don't have to patrol this thing to untag myself from photos where... Because from some angles, I look weirdly like Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, And not like young, cool Eleanor Roosevelt, like old Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, Or I don't have to see posts from my Uncle Mike about the New World Order. And I don't mean the wrestlers. I mean the, like, end times conspiracy theory. So once I was detached from Facebook, I was feeling really good. I was looking at people who were on Facebook, like in a restaurant, you see people scrolling through, and I was just like, you pathetic sheeple. You guys are just trapped, man, in a prison of your mind called Facebook. And I'm like, just living life. And then yesterday was my birthday. And, um, and I woke up, and I was like, time to feel the love. Time to have a lot of people who I barely know take one second out of their life to write happy birthday on my wall. And I looked at my phone and just a tumbleweed blew across the screen. (laughs) And I started to really rethink Facebook because it kind of, I have to say, I like that feeling of people saying happy birthday to me. And, And I started to kind of re-examine the whole thing. And I thought, yeah, okay, Facebook has annoying people on it, but the real world has annoying people on it too, right? 
So maybe the deal with Facebook is to just, like in real life, uh, go towards the things that are good and like block the things that are bad. So after uh, some consideration, and because I have my phone with me on stage, because of course I do, I thought I would just reactivate my Facebook page. And I don't, if you guys are okay with this, you guys just give me a minute here. Okay. Back on. You guys, it doesn't, it doesn't have gluten in it. It's all right. It's okay, everybody. I'm logging in. You gotta be kidding me, Uncle Mike. All right, that's it. I'm shutting this thing down. I'm staying off, actually. That's better. You know, let's get going with the show. We have some interesting people we want to talk to. And I am happy to say that I have remained free of Facebook's tyrannical grip as of this recording. Hey, speaking of people who like to do their own thing, Cameron Esposito is a hilarious comedian, host of the Wham Bam Pow podcast, and one of our favorite guests in a long, long time. Take a listen to her stand-up set from a recent Livewire. shows for you guys. You know, because the men here look like me. <laughs> I do feel like, you know, you've gotten, some, you've gotten used to me. You've seen, you've seen my look. <laughs> so I'll answer some questions. Yeah, as you can, as you can tell uh, by my haircut, I am a thundercat. <laughs> <laughs> and also a giant lesbian. <laughs> of course I am. Of course I am. I have a side mullet. Of course I am. (laughs) But I was walking on stage not too long ago, and before I even hit the mic, before I even hit the mic, this dude just sitting in the front row, he just yells at me, You look like a woman that doesn't sleep with men! (laughs) He yelled that at me like as if I don't know. Like as if I was going to be like, what do you mean? Is it the best? (laughs) He yelled that at me like he thought I grew up on a gay island with a gay volleyball and I'd never seen a straight person. Like he was breaking some news. Here's the thing. I look like a woman that doesn't sleep with men uh, because I am a lesbian. (laughs) And when you're a lesbian, that's one of the biggest parts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. This look is on purpose to attract women. Like, I didn't choose my sexuality, but I did put on this outfit. I understand what it means. (laughs) And I'm not bummed about it. I think I look amazing. Look at you. My gender is accurately reflected in this outfit. My gender being fighter pilot. And when you're a lesbian, you're not bummed that you don't get to sleep with men. Can I, like, I can't, I can't explain that more clearly. Well, I'll try. You don't want to, so the fact that you don't have to is a good thing. Like, every night I just go home and I'm like, not tonight again! person who's a part of a minority group and yell at them as if it is an insult, a positive aspect of being in that minority group. You can't. You can't go up to a black person and be like, I bet you don't burn in the sun. Did I get you? They'd be like, I do save on sunscreen. What are you talking about? I think people are still a little bit confused about what it means to be gay. And I will say that I think that our differences make us better. I think it is great that we're different. I think that being interested in different things is, is a positive thing. You know, like, thank God we're not all attracted to the same thing. What if we're all attracted to the same thing? It would just be like one guy and you'd have a very long line and he would be exhausted. <laughs> this is better. This is 
better. And I can prove it to you guys with one story. That seeing the world in a different way is better. I used to be on this party planning committee. And one day we're just going around this committee table. And everybody's suggesting things they want for this party. And I said, I think this party needs whack-a-mole. <laughs> oh, I stand by that. That's how on a party I want to hit animatronic moles on the head with a mallet. <laughs> but I said, I think this party needs whack-a-mole. Another lady on the committee looks at me and she goes, okay, I believe it's pronounced guacamole. <laughs> yes! Yes, that lady. Now, we didn't see that in the same way. We had a different interpretation on what I was talking about. I was talking about something you find at Chuck E. Cheese. She thought I was talking about a Mexican appetizer. That didn't make my life worse. It drastically improved it. Because in that moment, I got to see the world through her eyes. You know, just see that, just see that for her, in that moment that she saw me as an adult woman who's been walking into Chipotle's for years. Just going like, oh, whack-a-mole's extra? Well, how much are jalapenos? Like, that's how she thinks I am. And she also thinks nobody has ever told me. Like, do you get that part of it? Because we're in a room full of people. So before she speaks, there has to be a moment where she just looks around like, oh, nobody's gonna say anything to correct this lady? Like, in her own mind, when she spoke up, I know that she was a hero. Like, she just was like, now, Buck, stop with me. I can sleep well tonight. I didn't correct her. I didn't tell her she was wrong. I just said, lady, thank you very much. And that is how we should treat each other. You guys, I'm Cameron Esposito. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We've got a special show for you this week. We're celebrating 4th of July weekend with an Independence Day show. And really, what could be more indie than one of those giant outdoor music festivals, mostly consisting of bands you've never heard of? That's Saturdays in March, only at Bob Staley's Tire Expo on Highway 14. It's 4.30 on your drive home. This is Pound Cake with you on 106.7 The River. And as promised, I've got the Coachella 2013 lineup for you. Get ready, because here it is. Wu-Tang Clan, Red Hot Chili Peppers, New Order, Modest Mouse, Lou Reed, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Father John Misty, Beardy Man, Logface, Silent Fridge, John Ford Mustang, Laser Force 2079, The Sorrow Factory and Wishbone, Foreign Sign Language, Martika, Porridge, Dr. Funkenstein's Weekend Funk Machine featuring Funky Wesley, Deaf Babies, Pillows, Cellophane Party Death Wish, The Tickle Family, Old Fudge, Ben Vereen, Wax Paper, Quiet Pudding, the Honeycomb Challenge, Suicidal Wednesdays, and the Lampoon, Table, Buckshot, Stevens, and Magoo, Mark Harmon, Blood Quartet, Zesty Calhoun, and the Chocolate Chip Kid with special guest DJ Doink, Sabretooth, Azerbaijan, the Kaiser Chiefs, San Berdu, Orange Crayon and Back Teen and Skin Machine featuring James Taylor. Next hour will be the 17th caller when you hear this. And you'll win two tickets to Coachella courtesy of your friends here at 106.7 The River. Now back to another two-hour block of mashups of Dave Matthews Band and Edie Burkell and New Bohemians. Look, I'm no expert, but I am like 95% sure that Azerbaijan is not the name of an indie rock band. I'm, I'm probably even 96% sure of that. All right, next up, a writer and actor who had huge success as a kid, starring as Wesley Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation, but then he decided to learn computers and start a blog, 
He moved to Kansas. He just totally went off and did his own dang thing. And people loved it. The blog was a huge hit, and an indie star was reborn. Here's the time Will Wheaton stopped by Livewire. I feel like these people have heard of you. They seem to be familiar with your work. Clearly because Portland is a city of incredibly talented and interesting people who have spent a lot of time seeking out the finer things in life. By the way, that was my best city pander I think I've ever done. You know, I cut a line out of your intro that called you a sci-fi uber geek because I just thought, you have to be so tired of always having geekiness woven into your sort of professional life and the way people talk about you and talk to you. Are you tired of it? Well, I mean, at this point, saying that about me is like saying I have brown hair and hazel eyes. It's just like it is such an ingrained part. I cut that out of the intro, too. (laughs) You really let me down tonight, Luke. Um, it, uh, it is such an enormous part of who I am and I'm really proud of it. Uh, and what's interesting to me is when I talk to people who understand what it means to be geeky about things and, and have embraced, uh, like sort of the way that I define it is, is, is that being a, being a nerd or, or a geek is not about what you love. It's about the way that you love it. And you can be a, a, a geek for everything from, like, NASCAR and football to Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. It just doesn't matter, like, along that spectrum. It's the way that you love it. What gets really frustrating for me is when I talk to people who don't know what that means. And they're like, you know, I was going to call you a nerd. And I'm like, oh, you're so cute. You think that's an insult. Um, you have had a, an interesting career arc. Um, you were, of course, on Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. How does the Next Generation cast relate to the original Star Trek cast when you were at the many cons and such things where you guys cross paths? Um, you know, I think it kind of goes back to when we were first on the air in 1987. Um, we were effectively standing on the shoulders of giants, and we knew it and they knew it. And we were all just sort of part of, you know, it's like we were, we were playing for the same team, just in different eras. And uh, there was never a sense of animosity or, uh, or competition uh, between the cast. Like, once you're, you know, it's like once you're in that gang, you're in that gang forever. And, and, and that extends, I mean, from, from the original series all the way through to Enterprise. And... Uh, We've all become close in our own ways over the years because we just see each other all the time. And, like, you sort of have a choice to make. Like, you can uh, uh, be, be happy to see each other and enjoy one another's work, um, or you can try to be a dick about things. And it's just, like, you know, I was thinking about this today purely from a mathematical perspective. Uh, uh, the, the ratio of, of investment to return on kindness is always a positive number and it's just better and wiser to just be cool i was recently on a a panel at a at a sci-fi convention in kansas city with uh most of the cast of next generation and it was moderated by william shatner and it was awesome because it started out being like about like you know well this is a star trek things and then it turned into this conversation of us from, from Next Generation, we from Next Generation, saying to, to him, well, this is what our experience was like. What was your experience like? Forget all these people that have spent lots of money to be here. If it's like, this yeah. is about, like, we want, like, I want to know. And it was amazing and so fascinating to hear the differences in our, in our experiences and those places where they were kind of the same. After doing that and after a few other things, you ended up living in Kansas, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, Really? Are you celebrating your escape? Yeah. Kansas is the only other place this show is on, so... Oh. Really screwed us, Wheaton. Huh. It's interesting. I was fairly certain that radios were outlawed there as an instrument of the devil. 
So I, a lot of scary knowledge and science in the radio, and they can't have that. I, I lived in Topeka for a while. I was, I was 18 after spending my entire childhood in the entertainment industry. And I was starting to see kind of like the ugliness of the entertainment industry uh, with uh, just like sort of the, the way that decisions were made and, and sort of what I thought of as really like bad behavior was re- rewarded in the industry and it kind of disgusted me. And uh, when I had had like maybe two months out of not doing it, um, I decided that I needed to kind of walk away for a while. And I went and lived in Kansas, and I worked for a company called New Tech, and I helped develop some software for a product called the Video Toaster 4000, which was one of the very first bits of, of hardware and software that could do production, uh, broadcast television quality uh, video switching, but we were doing it for about $6,000 at a time when it cost around $100,000 if you're going to do it with all the professional level equipment. And what really attracted me to that, that company was that we were creating a paradigm shift in the way that was starting to get the power away from an elite that guarded it and give that to creative people so that they could get excited and make something. And then I ended up carrying that idea into starting my blog in 2000 and then going to work for Geek and Sundry a few years ago where we just had these ideas and we were pretty sure, thank you, we were pretty sure that if we made them that there were enough people in the world that they would like our thing And this is such an incredible time to be a creator because regardless of what medium you choose to work in, we have the ability to put our work in front of the the world. Uh, Like, Welcome to Night Vale could not have happened 10 years ago. And it is. Which I just, uh, it's a really incredible podcast, which is just one day showed up in iTunes and was you know, number one with a bullet and has been there ever since. It really seems to be something that satisfies a real interest for people that, that I don't think folks knew uh, was out there. Maybe obviously the Night Vale people did. By the way, this is not Welcome to Night Vale, although we wish it was. This is Livewire. <laughs> My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. We're talking to Will Wheaton. When you, when you started writing your blog, yeah. I will admit that I, I saw it and I thought, oh, Will Wheaton is blogging. I guess things aren't going great for him. But did you, were you... That's a, that's really accurately reflects what was going on in my life at that time. That's, really? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Was it an outlet for you or was it yes. something that you hoped would be a profession at some point? No, I, uh, so for a really long time, so I wasn't aware of a lot of uh, sort of like the early proto-internet hate that came my way uh, when I was, when I was younger. But then once I became I apologize aware, for some of that. I... Uh, we're going to fight backstage. Yes, and you're going to win. I am. You have a Leviathan tattooed on your arm. I you definitely do. I, win. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you know. Yeah. <laughs> they don't just let anybody get tattoos. There's a whole thing you got to go through. So when I, I just sort of felt like, you know, I am, I'm so tired of people thinking I'm this one thing and I'm this one way and I just want to speak for myself. And that's why I started writing my blog. And I had always enjoyed writing and I had always enjoyed storytelling, but I never really had an outlet for it because before uh, like Blogger and Gray Matter and the like super early versions of WordPress were out there, there was just no way to do that without going to a publishing house. And I didn't want to go to a publishing house and make that commitment and try to convince somebody that my ideas were good because they probably weren't. But back then, for the, the entire investment of the audience is click. And, and for, the, you know, for that investment, if someone wants to get on board and be interested in that, then it started out for me just as a way to like express myself and, and tell like my story. And I think just because I was kind of out there at the beginning of it, it, be, it got more attention than it would have uh, at, at any other time. Um, you've actually told me a story before which uh, has stayed with me. Of all of the interviews I've done, it's probably one of the stories that stayed with me the most. And it's really, I think it's, it's fascinating if you're a parent, if you have somebody in your life who you'd like them to start uh, maybe using their imagination more. And it was the way your grandmother impacted your life. Yeah, so I can draw a straight line 
between the story I'm about to tell you and my show, The Will Wheaton Project, that's starting on Sci-Fi Channel at the end of, of May. And if you go all the way back to 1982, it was Christmas, and we were at her house and with all the cousins, and uh, we were opening up our Christmas presents, and it's the Christmas of, like, 1982, so those of you who are of a certain age will know that when one kid opened up uh, the Nintendo Game & Watch, I was like, that's great, and then another kid opened up, you know, Mattel Football, and I'm like, oh, man, this is the greatest thing ever, and I get to mine, and I open it up, and it's just a box, and I'm like, oh, there's something inside the box, and I open up the box, and it's just books. And I was so ripped off, and it sucked. And I'm like, what is this? And she said, this is a game called Dungeons and Dragons. And I know what a great imagination you have. And I know how much you like The Hobbit and, and, and wizards and, and dragons. And she said, and this is a game that lets you pretend that you are one of these people in this world and you get to use your imagination. And I know that you have a great imagination, so I think you would really like this. And I was like, lady, you are so wrong. <laughs> I colored in the dice because it was a thing to do. And then I started, I started reading the book and I will remember that the, inside the book, it's, you know, it says read this book first and you open it up and it says, this is a game that is fun which is already a bad sign. It's like, if I have to tell you, right? I'm like, honey, sex with me is going to be amazing. Yeah. Get ready, because here it comes. No, seriously, this is what I do instead of foreplay. I let you know, like, you are in for a really good time. I think we have our promo for this week's show, <laughs> by the way. It says, this is a game that is fun. It helps you to imagine. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a chance. And it was like the hooks were in me. And I never, like that moment changed my life. Because I was a weird kid. I was awkward. I was really unsure of myself. I had no confidence. I wasn't athletic. Um, I liked to read. I was kind of good at math. And like there was just... In 1982, that stuff just wasn't encouraged. There was no person on YouTube saying, it's okay to be a nerd, trust me, <laughs> right? And um, There was no It Gets Better project for geeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that led me to this life where, as a writer and as an actor, I make my living with my imagination. And, you know, the guy that wrote that introduction was right. And my, my great aunt was right. This is a thing that I would like because it helps me to imagine. Well, we're proud of you, Will Wheaton, and we're all going to be looking for the Will Wheaton Project on Sci-Fi coming up towards the end of May. Will Wheaton, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Portland. And now Livewire presents mildly erotic Will Wheaton fan fiction... Written by people who may or may not have actually seen his work. Starring Will Wheaton. Leverage. Sophie is sitting in her office when her old nemesis, Colin Mason, arrives. Colin Mason? I thought you died in that freak volcano accident involving a helicopter and a fire. I know, Sophie. Long time no try to kill you. Look, I know we're sworn enemies, but I'm finding myself weirdly attracted to you, like a moth to something that's been set on fire, or like a light bulb on your back porch that's covered with other bugs. Oh, I am also attracted to you, like when there's a magnet that's in another magnet, and both of them are on the side that pulls toward each other, not that weird side that pushes away. Do you want to kiss with our tongues in my mouth? Let's stop talking about it and do it. Mm. They make out. The making out intensifies. They realize there's a ticking time bomb in the room, but they totally still want to keep making out. And scene. Eureka! Dr. Isaac Parrish comes out of a wormhole to find Holly waiting for him. Whoa, that wormhole was insane! You guys have got to try that. 
Are you okay, Dr. Isaac Parrish? Holly? I thought you were dead. I thought that field of antimatter and the Higgs field disruptor ripped off your arms and your legs and left you for dead, without arms or legs, and also dead. But it didn't. Holly, are you interested in playing tonsil hockey with me in my face? Like a hot bath on a cold day in St. Louis, Missouri in the winter, in the present, or the past, it will be my pleasure. They make out. Will Wheaton turns into a werewolf. Now he turns back to Will Wheaton again. Holly loves both Will Wheaton and Wolf Wheaton and wishes she didn't have to choose, but she keeps making out with him. And scene. <laughs> Big Bang Theory. There's a knock on Sheldon's apartment door. He answers it. I hate you, Will Wheaton. Right. Ours is a classic rivalry, like Lex Luthor and Superman. Like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Darth Vader and... Everyone. Orange juice and toothpaste. Like my histamines and peanuts. Like a xenomorph drone and a T-800 Model 101. Like the desire to make a bologna and sharp cheddar sandwich and you realize that you only have regular cheddar, mm. but you use that thinking that you won't notice if you put extra mustard on it. Mm-hmm. But it just takes one bite for you to notice. Like me and those weird white coily things and raw egg yolks. I hate those. Mm, Like Sam and Diane. Sheldon. Yes? If we were Sam and Diane, you know what we'd be doing right now? Swapping spit and fondling each other's shoulder pads affectionately. Shut up and kiss me, you weird genius. They make out. No, Sheldon, let me blow the whistle. This is so intellectually stimulating. Sheldon puts on a Darth Vader mask. You're not my father. Let me get my lightsaber out. We need to have a fight. I am your father. Let's make out. Oh, no. Oh. oh my god, Will Wheaton is making out with Darth Vader. This was such a good idea. Mm. Yes. And scene. This has been mildly erotic Will Wheaton fan fiction, written by people who may or may not have actually seen his work, starring Will Wheaton. You're listening to Livewire Radio's Independence Day special. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, you should definitely check out our podcast. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and all of the places where podcasts hang out. All right, next up, it's an Oscar-nominated independent animator who once drew, uh, by hand, an entire feature-length movie. His name is Bill Plimpton. Take a listen. Ta-da! I see you wore your best public radio shorts, Bill. <laughs> you have a lot and going grew, on here. I grew up on uh, Clackamas River, so I'm, I'm ready to go swimming. You want to go swimming with me? Yeah. Right. You look like... Let me describe the outfit for the radio listeners. You look like you're ready to go swimming, hiking, or to the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> seersucker jacket. I love over seersucker. The, I love over seersucker. the polar tech, <laughs> over the shorts, over the wool socks. Bill Plimpton, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Actually, I wanted to ask you about your childhood, uh, childhood growing up here in the Portland area. Were you yeah. just drawing pictures from sunup to sundown? Absolutely. Uh, I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and I had very few playmates, and so I just stayed inside and, and drew uh, you know, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Daffy Duck all day long. Uh, did you ever hear about my, my Walt Disney story? What's your Walt Disney story? Um, I'll be real quick because it's kind of involved. But anyway. This is public radio, by the way. After okay. this show, there's going to be a one-hour show about the emotional life of a fern. <laughs> okay. So take as much time as you want. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make it fast. 
So anyway, I got nominated for an Oscar in 87 with a film called Your Face. Yes. And uh, Disney sent a lawyer to my studio with a big briefcase, suit and tie, sits down, looks me in the eye and says, Walt Disney Studios wants to offer you a million dollars to come work for us. I go, oh, my God. Finally, they realize how talented I am. They want me to work at Disney. But, you know, they say negotiating with Disney is not so much good cop, bad cop, but bad cop, antichrist. <laughs> and I, I, there's some truth to it. For example, I said, oh, that's great. Can I work on my own weird little films on the weekend? He said, yeah, you can do that, but we will own those. Uh, what if I have a, tell someone a funny story? Well, we own that. And you know what? That's the way Disney works, and I don't begrudge him because there's... Everybody wants to work for Disney. They don't care. They want to sell their soul to, to him. So, uh, but I didn't. I wanted to continue you know, making the films I wanted to make. Not even Thank for you. a, a million dollars, huh? Sometimes I wonder if that was the right decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're I mean, wearing shorts yeah, on a public shorts, radio show. Yeah, I don't know if it's going great. Seersucker, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know what? I get up every morning. I go to my drawing board. I start drawing, and I can draw whatever the hell I want. No one's going to say, oh, you can't do that. That's going to offend somebody, or that's the wrong color. And to me, that's worth more than a million bucks. Yeah. We're talking to Bill Plimpton, famed animator. Your uh, latest feature is called Cheatin'. It, I just watched this film, and it is totally mesmerizing. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm wondering, you know, a, a lot of your work doesn't have any kind of traditional dialogue in it. Uh, how, why, do you, why do you make that choice? What are you, what are you looking to achieve with that decision? Well, there's, there's three reasons. One is uh, I'm not very good at writing dialogue. Number two is it's easier to sell overseas because there's no dubbing or translation or um, you know, subtitling. And the most important part is it's actually more poetic to tell a story with visual images and uh, music and sound effects. And it, it goes deeper into the soul, I think. And, and that's why I, I, don't need, I feel I don't need dialogue. And I, I like making films that are just sort of more cinematic. Yeah. Who does the sound effects of people having reactions to things, which is a big <laughs> part of your films? Yeah, there's a lot of grunting and moaning and you know, sex noises and things like that. Um, yeah, it's not a film for kids. I, ho I hope people know that. Uh, <laughs> I think cheating apostrophe <laughs> is a fairly clear indicator of okay. that, I hope. <laughs> um, and I don't hire them. My, my sound guy, Weston Fonger, uh, has a, a, a crew of, of a voice artist, professional voice artists that he brings in for a day or two and does all the, all the sound effects. I want to talk about the, uh, I don't want to say adult nature, because that makes it sound like it's scandalous, but just the fact that this is an animated feature that has adult topics covered in it. It's yeah. about relationships and jealousy and cheating and things like this. Um, did you have a hard time getting a distributor in the U.S. because it's not frozen? Yeah, I'm... G <laughs> uh, no, um, I'm really glad you asked that question because that's a really big issue for me. Um, for example, I showed this film to a friend of mine who's actually a distributor, and he looks at me and says, well, Bill, you know... You got nudity in this film. It's like I, I broke the Ten Commandments or something. Why, why is it uh, Tarantino or Scorsese can have nudity, but animation can't? For some reason, there's this, this, this stereotype that animation is only a kid's medium, which really pisses me off because I still love animation, and I want to see adult ideas, you know, things that I think about uh, in my animated cartoons. Animations, thank you. It's the greatest art form in the world. And we're restricted to kitty fairy tales. I hope this film, Cheatin', changes the attitude uh, the, of the distributors and the theater owners uh, about animation. Is it true that this is based, or the inspiration for this came from an actual relationship you were in? Yeah, it did. It was a relationship I had about 20 years ago. And um, I thought this was my soulmate. This was a woman I'd spend the rest of my life with. We moved in together, and after a month we wanted to strangle each other. And uh, yet we still wanted to have sex. And I thought, God, that's such a weird dichotomy. Those two passions are in the same relationship. So uh, I thought, wow, that'd be a funny idea for a film because there's a lot of conflict, a lot of you know, sensuality, a lot of violence, a lot of surrealism, a lot of uh, uh, strange nudity. And so I thought it's perfect for, for, for Bill Plimpton. Um. 
You famously are, I guess, billed as the only person to ever hand draw an entire animated feature. For those of us who, who don't uh, really understand how incredibly tedious and involved that is, can you put that in context? Well, I, I, I have to straighten you out because now everyone's making their own feature film and drawing their own feature film. I hope they're inspired by my, uh, my work, but I've done it seven times. So I, I would say uh, I was the first one to do it, but there's a number of wonderful artists out there making animated uh, feature films. And I think it's very healthy. It's more democratic. I mean, uh, it's great to have Disney and DreamWorks and Blue Sky doing films, but, uh, you know, I like a variety, a wide variety of options, of stories, of, of, of techniques. And Leica does great films. You know, sure. they do stop motion, puppet animation. So uh, I think it's very healthy to have everybody make their own film. Right, but I guess I want to, uh, and certainly technology has really changed yep. how films are made even when they're hand animated. But I want to go back to the time when you're hand animating a film in the 80s maybe. Yeah. And you have a large non-digital camera that you're right. filming each <laughs> frame with are there moments where you just think i cannot get this thing done i mean it seems like it would take thousands of hours and years of your life to quite, do something like that. quite the opposite um it's it's such a joy to spend all day i get up at six in the morning i go to my drawing board i start drawing i feel so great and i, I usually end by 10 o'clock at night i'll do maybe 100 drawings a day and I feel so refreshed. My hand feels like therapy. It just and I sleep so well. How how much time in a film does a hundred drawings account for? Uh, maybe uh, fifteen seconds, ten seconds, something like that. Yeah, it's very slow. <laughs> but you know, a Pixar film will will um, you know it'll take half a second for a week to do animation like that. So it's very different. I mean, I, I do all the animation myself. No one else does it. Well, Pixar has thousands of artists. That contributed. The business model of how these films are distributed, though, has to be changing because of the internet and things like that, right? Like this movie, mm -hmm. you have a big enough name that it has a theatrical release, but is there also a lot of digital app, yeah, know, well, avenues did, for people to get you, it? You did your homework. Thank you so much for this. Um, uh, Vimeo On Demand is releasing this film, I think, this week. So you can get cheating. If you can't see it in the movie theater, you can get it on demand. And 90% uh, of the income from Vimeo comes to the artist. So I think it's a really great uh, platform yeah, for animation. Plus, plus uh, all of my work, I have like 14 hours of animation, uh, was just been released to iTunes. So if you were stoned in the 90s and you saw something on MTV, you don't quite remember what it was. <laughs> Go to iTunes, you'll see that film and bring back the, the, all the stone uh, days. It's important, Bill, to know your audience, and it sounds like you have a really clear grasp on them. Bill Plimpton, ladies and gentlemen, right here on Livewire. This is Livewire Radio. Hey, you can find out about our upcoming fall shows in Portland, Oregon at Revolution Hall by heading over to our website, livewireradio.org. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, your host. This week, we've got a special show for you. We're celebrating independence by listening back to some of our favorite guests who've gone off on their own creatively. One of those guests was singer-songwriter Melissa Etheridge. She'd sold millions of records. She'd scooped up tons of awards. But then Melissa decided to independently release her latest album. And she stopped by Live Wire to chat about it and play some music. So this new record of yours, you, you, ha you collaborated with a lot of songwriters on this, and, and in your other records, you've written all the songs. That's kind of your thing. Is that totally weird? Does it feel different when you're performing a song and someone came up with a lyric? No, because there's, uh, the whole experience of this album was different from the very beginning in that last year, I decided to make a huge change in my, uh, my whole career, and I... Uh, let go of my management, record company, lawyers, everything. I was like, I'm starting all over. And I went out and learned about the business now and what's possible through social media, through reaching my fans directly. And so this is the first time, this album is an independent album and it's the first album that I have ever owned myself. So, so, 
What changes in that is you lose the big upfront corporate money that you used to get when you make a big album. You know, you probably you, didn't like that anyway, right? You know, the the luxury of having yeah. money just to go into a studio it was great. And I, I would, I would write the songs. I would get a producer. We would go on and do them. And, and I love making records that way. And I realized, okay, there's a there's a certain challenge here, but it's a it's a, an opportunity for me to grow as a songwriter. See, this is why. You are only two letters away from an EGOT. I know. <laughs> so get on it. TV Working show, it. I think, is, and you need... Uh, and, and the Tony. Yeah. A Tony yeah. and a TV show. Well, That's all. In, in the meantime, can we hear one more song? Oh, sure. Would yeah. that be all right? Yeah. Right on. All right. I'll do another new song from the album. This is me. This song is called I Won't Be Alone Tonight. Gonna put my boots on Pull back my hair There's a heartbreak in the night But I don't care Got to find me an angel One that's just a little mean In cheap sunglasses And low-rise jeans I've had enough of a scuffed up wall I'm breaking up tonight, that's all I don't owe nobody money As far as I can recall hey, I won't be alone tonight The darkness will end and I Won't be alone, won't be alone tonight Well, there's a billion stars To the mirror Working up my nerve I say you've had much more of this Than you deserve Come on Come on Lift up my head I to take a little chance I'm gonna meet a beat My feet can dance Cheap caffeine Get me a clean shirt Find me the in-between Oh I won't be alone tonight The darkness will end And I won't be alone Won't be alone tonight Where there's a billion stars out in an endless sky I won't be alone, won't be alone, won't be alone tonight. Oh, 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 Screaming pillows and secret tears Every single night for a hundred million years But not tonight Oh, I won't be alone tonight The darkness will end and I won't be alone Won't be alone tonight So there you have it. Livewire's salute to the indie spirit on this Independence Day weekend. 
You know, I was uh, perusing Wikipedia earlier today, as one does, and here's what it says. Independence Day is commonly associated with fireworks, barbecues, and carnivals. And I was thinking those are all fun things, but they can get complicated. So here as we wrap up the show are some tips on those endeavors. Fireworks. I know, it looks like the wick just stopped burning. Believe me, it didn't. Do not investigate the situation by putting your face two inches from the firecracker. It was 18 cents. Just dump a beer on it and move on with your life. Barbecues. Toast the buns, people. It's three seconds. It's a total game changer. Uh, And carnivals. Stay off the rides. There was a meeting held some years ago where someone asked, who should assemble uh, and operate these death machines? And somebody else, for some reason, said, how about drifters with nothing to lose? And thus the modern carnival industry was born. Avoid those rides and you will live to listen to next week's edition of Livewire Radio, which would make us so happy. And it will come to you once again, as per usual, from Portland, Oregon. So we do hope you can check that out. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's special show. Here are the folks who helped make it happen. Livewire is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Alaska Airlines, and Ergo Depot. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hommeister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band, along with Dave Jorgensen, Jonathan Newsom, and Ben Landsberg. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone. Graham Nystrom is our technical director. House sound by D. Neil Blake. Lighting by Jillian Tabler. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Meyer Memorial Trust, Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Oregon Cultural Trust, Work for Art, the Oregon Community Foundation, and listeners like you fine, beautiful people. For more information about the show or how to become a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll see you next week. PRI Public Radio International.